this podcast, Sean Murphy talks about building the fabric of optimistic workplace. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us an amazing guest, Sean Murphy. So a brief bio on Sean. So Sean, uh, for over 25 years, has helped companies change their workplace culture, their business, from designing and leading change programs linked to large IT implementations to organizational redesigns to reimagine the workplace culture. He's been through the joys and maddening frustration that are part of helping guide company division and even team transformations. In that time frame, he has worked with CEOs, executives and middle managers, helping them refine, learn and personally grow um, as more relatable and effective people leaders. He led workshops uh, showing managers what it takes to shift their culture and workplace climate. A truly great leader is self-aware and self-managed. These um, serve as a foundation for action-based workshop he designed and lead for companies and their leaders. He is always uh, meeting with industry experts, reading the latest research and conducting his research to help uh, write relevant, thought-provoking and actionable article and books. His first book is The Optimistic Workplace and we'll talk about that book briefly in in our conversation is out. And he is currently working on his second book um, on the influence workplace belonging has on performance, results and team cohesion. it is supposed to come out in 2019 via Hopper Collins Leadership uh, uh, Group. He lead, delivers keynotes, private presentation, and endnotes on themes of change, leadership, employee engagement, and workplace culture. With that, Sean, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Boy, that, I gave you a really long bio. Good lord! <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's it's it's, it's fun to read. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think that's that's it. Now we are done. So um, I think why I was reading that, right? And then what, what, what I found fascinating about, about your, your background is um, your, in, your sort of your experience and understanding and, and, and researching around the changing shape of organizations. So why don't you walk us through, through your journey? Like what brought you to this point and what have you seen so far and what's going on? Yeah, so um, I'll say this to make it more valuable for uh, the listeners and viewers. Uh, you know, I think we all have these flashpoints in our careers where we go, what the heck am I doing? Mm. And for me, that flashpoint was around having uh, uh, a really disappointing conversation with an executive who I thought understood what the role of human resources was in helping company, the company that I was working at uh, be successful. And proved to be uh, a false understanding that I had. And so when I realized that the time that I invested in this company, uh, which was, by the way, uh, uh, one of the great places to work, I won't mention the name of the company, um, but it's, uh, it was like, okay, if I'm spending this much time in a place that supposedly advocates for kind of a more modern collaborative uh, uh, relationship with employees, but yet that's not what the senior HR leader is about. I got to move on because, mm. you know, I need to be able to know that I'm doing work that is valuable and meaningful and purposeful. And if that's not happening, I have a short attention span and I'm sure lots of us do today, in fact. Um, so it was important for me to find something to direct my skill sets at, and that was going out on my own, and you know, doing all of those things that uh, you were talking about in the intro. Interesting, wow! And and so, what has been? Um, so, what do you do now? Like, what? Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you spend your time today? So today, it's it's kind of a, an interesting mix of. Uh, talking with uh, industry experts, uh, analysts who are monitoring what's going on in the workplace, what are the influences on uh, the way we work, uh, writing, uh, keynoting, speaking. Uh, my favorite thing to do is to lead workshops. Um, you know, and not just workshops where you've got someone who's talking at people for you know a whole day or whatnot, but 
really those workshops that are designed to kind of get everybody to roll up their sleeves and and start you know, learning the concepts, but also figuring out how to apply it to their reality. So it's a lot of uh, you know thinking and and then sharing and writing and speaking and thinking and writing and sharing and uh, of course do consulting as well. Interesting. And 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 you said um, before the, the uh, before our conversation, you have a podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. So what so, what it is and what do you do there and I, and I'll put the link on the description. But if you can walk, if you can tell us something about the podcast as well. Sure. So the podcast is called Work That Matters uh, uh, by Work IQ. So Work That Matters by Work IQ. If you go you know, wherever you get your podcast and type in Work That Matters, you'll find it. Um, and the focus really is on, uh, we have this concept that we call workplace intelligence mm. and we bring in guests or my co-hosts, uh, Mark Babbitt and I will also just have episodes where it's just he and I talking about different elements around workplace intelligence. Interesting. And I think love your company name, Work IQ. So what is Work IQ? Like, um, have, and are you able to find it? <laughs> well so here's here's kind of how i like to 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 position this so i'm going to ask you a question so when you think about work what are the frustrations that come along with it oh that will be a different podcast so it's um yeah the it's it's in, in in every direction it's it's yeah my calendar uh expectations stress, whatever. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. some interesting yeah. things. So, so I just asked you kind of the negative piece, but if I were to also ask you, what do you like about it? Mm. Um, so if you were to take those two elements, kind of the frustrations and the joys, if you will, workplace intelligence is uh, made up of five different disciplines, if you will, mm. that are aimed at helping to reduce those frustrations. So for example, you said stress. So stress is part of well-being, right? Mm. So how workplace intelligence is at the at the leader level. How do you as a leader influence your employees, your team's stress levels? How can you help change the way you lead, change the way that the work is structured, change the way maybe how you influence the culture by looking at uh, a couple of things, purpose, culture and climate, um, uh, engagement, social intelligence, which is something that not a lot of companies think about in terms of their employer brand and the influence that it has on the experience of work. Mm. But ultimately, what workplace intelligence is, is the disciplines that it takes to create a positive experience of work for employees. And what we know from... Uh, our research, as well as research from Gallup and also uh, the Hay Group, is that 70% of the experience of work is based on an employee's immediate boss. So if you take just that one number and say, wow, 70%, so more than the boss or more than the CEO, more than benefits, more than their teammates, it's, it's the immediate boss has the greatest influence, our belief is in what we need to work differently to show our leaders how to have a really positive impact on that 70%. Because if not, if you've got a skunky manager, we'll say, someone kind of just really smelly, um, your experience, my experience is not going to be very positive. And that's going to affect attrition. That's going to affect you know, progress. Ultimately, it's going to uh, minimize the the total results that a company can uh, achieve. Interesting, interesting. So, what has been your observation um, when you look around? Like, what are some of the things uh, of how the organizational, um, the culture and organization sort of are changing uh, with with this this current paradigm? Like, what are some of the changes that you are seeing that um, that you can share? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, firstfridayfair.com. 
tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast yeah so probably the biggest thing that everybody's talking about and you and I were talking about this before uh we hit record is how is technology going to change the way we work and you know there's a lot of i think uh fear that soon uh the workplace will be run by robots and androids and there'll be no place for people the fact is that's not what is is predicted to happen mm-hmm. um in fact i was just looking at some data this morning uh deloitte was saying that in private companies they're planning 40 i'll say it differently 46% of private companies are planning to hire people to be able to work along with the technology. So 46% might say, well, that's less than half. Well, but there's a bigger picture here. And the reality is we still don't know enough about how artificial intelligence, machine learning is going to change the way that we work, right? We know that routine mundane tasks are going to be automated. Um, but that doesn't mean that those people who do those routine tasks are going to be kicked out, right? Mm. It's likely, and this is what current predictions are, that those employees are going to have to learn a different skill set. And that's where we get really interested at, at WorkIQ is, all right, so what is that going to be? So if, if you're an employee whose work is shifted because of automation, because of machine learning, and you aren't retired, we'll say, Mm. uh, you're going to have to work with people in a different way. And that's what I think is really shaping to be a really compelling point is while more the more routine mundane tasks that take us humans a long time to do, while those become automated, the more difficult tasks that currently machines can't do, but require really close collaboration between us humans that's the that's that's the space that i think a lot of organizations are uh, beginning to shift uh their focus and also beginning to understand that oh for a long period of time we said soft skills ah, nobody cares mm. about soft well that's going to be what's going to be help that's going to help the employers and employees more relevant in this kind of tech-driven world that we are starting to understand. You've got to be able to work with people. And if you are a jerk Mm -hmm. or you don't like to work with people, you're going to have a hard time in the workplace because we are seeing more agile teams come together. We're seeing flatter organizations uh, uh, and the need for collaboration and understanding diverse uh, ways of working, working with diverse groups of people. If you are kind of stuck in, well, I kind of just like to do my own thing. That's going to be a hard shift for you because that's not the direction companies are moving. They're moving more towards people needing to work together collaboratively in order to achieve the business goals that they're looking to achieve. That's pretty cool. And what's your what's your take on how the leaders um, should, should sort of prepare themselves for something like this? Because I think um, in, in, in our interaction, so I've never seen a leader saying, I am a bully or I, I actually, I am that guy that that's why my team is just jumping left and right. And they all are great leaders. They all are empathetic uh, unless you talk their subordinates and then you find otherwise. So what what would be the what would be the litmus test or or sort of what's your take on if I'm a leader how would I sort of consume what you just said and and yeah. and number one figure out um, get hopefully get a reality check sooner for me and number two how would I I am sort of create this workplace intelligence or or contribute to this workplace intelligence that you're talking about so it's a good question in fact uh, last night. Uh, working on the manuscript for the second book. Uh, one of the uh, topics that I'm writing about is um, around this very question you're asking. And, and so what can, the, what can we as leaders of people do uh, to you know, really 
contribute in a meaningful way. And if I am someone who's a bit of a bully or kind of curmudgeonly and just kind of stuck in my ways, um, what do I do about that? So I'm going to give you two, two uh, terms. Uh, one is called adapters and the other is called maintainers. And so these are my terms for uh, some really boring psycho- psychology terms. Um, but maintainers and adapters, this is what we need to uh, have leaders focus on. So if you are an adapter, you are more flexible in social situations. So when mm-hmm. you go in, a meeting, say, for example, and you don't know anybody, if you're an adapter, you can flex your way of interacting with people that uh, allows for you to read social cues better, um, allows for you to respond to those social cues. If you are a maintainer, you kind of tend to think of yourself as, hey, what you see is what you get. This is what I believe. If you don't like it, take it or leave it. So these, these type of leaders tend to uh, not read social cues, tend not to care about the social cues. And as a result, they are uh, less effective in a company. And the reason for that is, one, they're not flexible enough to be able to kind of go with the changes that are happening in an environment, in the workplace. Uh, and secondly, we as human beings, are very relationally driven. It's part of our survival instinct. And when, if you're the type of person that says, hey, I'm, this is how I am, take it or leave it, while some might find that admirable, most of us find that off-putting mm-hmm. and difficult to work with. And so while those might be traits of yours, we all have to be able to go, okay, well, this is my inclination. How do I shift and learn different skill sets so that I can read social cues better and respond in a way that helps the team. And that's, this is the key piece. It's not so much about what I can do to advance my career. It's how can I contribute the best so that the team can be successful. That's where leaders really have to start thinking about their part in an organization's success. I don't care if you think you are super social or curmudgeonly, what I do care about is what do you do about that? And that's what companies are are really going to be looking for is how can you contribute to the team? And the best way for you to do that as a leader is to raise your self-awareness. How do you recognize, how do you get feedback about what you do well and what you need to do better, differently? And then do you have the capacity to find a way to change those things. I can't say enough that the big shift is towards collaboration. The big shift is you've got to be able to work with somebody. If you're here, like where I live is in California. But if I have a teammate who is in Singapore, I need to be able to kind of adjust my way of interacting with them to be able to maximize our effort. Um, So this ability to adapt is going to continue to be more and more important. It's always been important. It's just in the workplace, especially here in America, we're very much about the individual, right? Mm. Yeah, great. Help me, boss, get better. Well, yes, you need to improve your skills. It's not just for your advantage. It's for the team's advantage as well. And the leader has to be able to be self-aware enough to know the impact that they're having on that team. You raised an interesting point. So uh, US, Singapore, right? So that's another thing that we are seeing now a, a lot nowadays in, in, in our this new sort of uh, workforce um, conceptualizations that there's, there's a very thinning borders now and pretty much like almost everyone I talk to, including me, I have my team in seven places around the world and I rarely meet them uh, I think probably once a year we meet, but I, some of them I don't even have, I have not even seen since, since we hired them. So in, in, in that new way of doing business, how much of a challenge it is to retain the culture of an organization? Because I think uh, companies took, um, some of these companies are, are, are sort of dragging their culture for, or, 
or nurturing their culture through the times when I need to go to an office, right? And 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 now we are seeing the world where sort of we are all working. Most of us are working remotely. That's a that's a good thing. Teleworking is a good thing. And then what are, what are you seeing? Some of the some of the things that businesses are doing right, and some of the things that businesses are doing wrong uh, when it comes to this new age of of work. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, it's a big question. So uh, I'm going to start by saying that I personally am skeptical of the the trend to allow employees to have flexible work arrangements. Hmm. The reason why I say that is not because I want to advocate or argue against it. Because the reality is the majority of the workforce wants that flexibility, right? So for the managers, leaders out there who tend to have an opinion like I do, which is the verdict is still out. And, hmm. and we can talk about the science and all that kind of stuff if you want to. But for those of us who question how effective it is to have a 100% virtual team, which by the way, my team also 100% virtual, um, we have to get over ourselves because it is what employees want. It is what, you know, if you're thinking about your, uh, your recruitment strategy, if you don't have work flexibility as one of your benefits, you could lose out on really important talent that you need. So one place to start is check our opinion at the door and then use our skepticism to drive how do we unite a team that may never see each other physically, right? Like you and I, obviously, we mm. see each other through uh, technology. That's one thing. But it's something completely different when we can be in the same physical room at the same time, right? So it means that we have to learn different tricks, if you will, to keep the team together to build a team identity uh, that lets people, that gives people the, the input they need to go. I never see Vishal, but mm. he's a great boss. You know, we have great conversations. He's really, and he's, he knows what's going on in my world. I know what's going on in his world. That takes a different kind of way of leading, regardless if we think it's good or not. It's what's going to be. It's here, right? We can't, we we can't ignore it any longer. Uh, so you know, teleworking or you know, working remotely, whatever you want to call it. You need to have that as a strategy for your benefit because, or as a benefit to your employees, because if you don't, like I said, you're going to lose out on some really important talent because it's one of the top, top expectations the, work, the worker today is looking for in their next employer. Interesting. And I think one thing that when I, when I, when I talk to HR leaders and, and, who has been sort of working beautifully in preserving the culture of their companies and getting keep getting ex, uh, inviting exciting talent and 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 as a when i wear my technologist hat in which uh, technology is changing rapidly and so is the way we get work done right so right. now when you mix sort of this legacy old culture that has created this company and became and they, these companies became so successful and now when they meet with this rapidly changing world in which everything you you can rely uh, you 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 are relying on today is going through its own transformational change or, or sort of disruptive change how would you how would you mix the two together and keep it sane like what would be what would be your two cents on 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 how would these businesses merge these two things together their their culture and 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 their their flexibility to this this rapid change yeah. So this is where I think a company's values comes into play. I think this is where uh, the company's purpose comes into play. And by purpose, 
I don't mean, I mean it in the way that Simon Sinek talks about it, which is you know, your a company's purpose is your why, right? Mm. So in these times where this, there are great significant shifts shaping the way businesses are run, shaping the way that people expect product services, as well as the way that what we expect from our, our employer, one of the best ways to understand how do, does our company shift in response to these trends, look to your values. What do your values tell you, right? For some companies, values are something that new employees learn about. They might be plastered on the wall and then they're forgotten, right? Mm. If that's your scenario, and I'm speaking to your listeners, if that's your scenario, that doesn't mean you can't use your values to say, all right, well, we've got to change our employee, employee, or excuse me, our employer brand. We need to change the way that we offer how people can work when they work with us. Look to your values. So if you have a value of people tend to always have integrity, right? Mm. Okay, so what does integrity look like in shaping the way that you change your policies and practices around using technology to allow people to work? How do you use trust? How do you use communication? Whatever your values are, use those as design inputs to figure out how do you modernize the way that you allow people to work through and using technology. If you don't do that, what you're likely to do is to start creating a bunch of different practices that are inconsistent with what the top leadership sees as important to the company. And then that mm. is then going to create a massive rift between you know, the, the high, and w- amongst those in the hierarchy, right? Because it's like, well, no, you can't do that because of X, Y, Z reasons. But we need to make sure that we're all working from the same set of expectations and values is a great way to to do that to to let that shape what that new program practice policy procedure is interesting it's a really boring answer sorry it's a i mean as i'm saying that i'm like god that is so boring but you know it's 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 probably the most simple way of figuring out how to do that as well as start to make the values become part of who the company is rather than just, you know, remember Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. That's what we always hear when we talk about this. These are our values. When I've studied uh, organizations that practice values-based leadership, um, and even in the companies that I studied for this next book, the company's purpose is part of the daily conversation that, leaders and employees are having. It's not just a one-time, hey, let's talk about it when we hire you. It is an ongoing conversation that's directed at performance, not the feel good, hey, this is our purpose. Yeah, that might be for some people. Ultimately, though, in a business context, purpose is there to help drive performance. Interesting. That's a, that's a very, very, very interesting point. So, and, and what's your take off, uh, take on the role of culture uh, when it comes to um, temp workers or increasing counts of temp workers, right? So now, like most of the businesses are shrinking on their core on their full-time workers and they're using, uh, leveraging 1099, we call it in US, it's uh, uh, the, the temporary workers. So how would you retain uh, a, a good sort of cultural diaspora sort of um, uh, uh, using this? diverse workforce pool and and template on how you utilize what's your take on that yeah you know it's (laughs) so here's the uh the struggle because i've been in that position earlier in my Mm -hmm. career at 99 right and uh you know as a contract employee or Mm -hmm. contractor um and i've been in the position where you know maybe the team that i'm helping is having a big you know it's Friday, so they're going to have an ice cream social. And they say, oh, you can't come because you're not an employee. <laughs> yes. I want to say, what? what? Yeah. Why, why, are, why, why are contractors second 
your citizens in your in your company. You hired a contractor because you don't have that talent or the talent isn't strong enough in your company. So why treat them differently? So I think that would be an area for companies to really evaluate is if you are inviting people to come in, even if it's on a temporary basis, even if it's part of the gig economy, if you want them to feel valued, welcomed, and wanted, then you need to include them in the social gatherings that help create those ties between people, right? Yes, some employees do not like having contractors there. Hmm. They that, well, I should be able to do that. Well, if that's the case, then let's talk with, let's talk about how we can transfer some of this knowledge so that you can do this in the future. But I think we, because I think where you're going with your question is the gig economy is, it's a big deal, right? It is only going to increase. I think the statistic that I've seen is by 2020, which seems a little too close, but say within the next five years, over half of the workforce mm. will be doing, uh, will be part of the gig economy. And it's cheaper for a company to hire a contractor because they don't have to pay the benefits, right? So I think the companies need to make sure that they also look at what is that experience for the, the contractors that they bring in? How do they work with them to make sure that they don't feel alienated, that they don't feel like they are limited to what they can and can't do because of their status in the company? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. And and one one, one more interesting uh, observation that I have seen and I, I want your perspective on that. So one of the company I was talking to and their HR said, hey, I have, I also own, I also own a, um, a fleet of AI as part of my my sort of people that, or at least my workforce right that that sparked an interesting thought that hey yes hr so now uh, resource although it's a human resource but but pretty much anyone who delivers work and an ai is now in many aspect mimicking some of the human um, workers what would be the role of hr uh, and what from from your vantage point on what would be what would be an organization like do, do you see that hr would sort of um, their role will diminish to uh, just focusing on the human and then there would be another sort of uh, maybe a- ar or air uh, making sure that the, uh, that ai resources and and they just make sure that ais are whatever fed the way they are fed what's your take on that so if i'm if i'm understanding you your question it's uh, what what is HR's role in the future when right. a lot of what they do c- can be done through technology, right? That so, would, so, that, so uh, yes, yes. So, so basically, what would be the role of HR in in, in an AI uh, in an AI era? You can yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a big question, Michelle. Um, <laughs> and, and and my answer may not necessarily. Re- uh, land very positively with some of your listeners and or viewers. Hmm. So here, here's here. So the bulk of my career has been in human resources, hmm. uh, not as a human resource business partner, uh, but more in the learning and development section of HR. Hmm. Uh, but I'll say this: I think if HR HR is always going to be an important part of a company. But if HR is just viewed as kind of the benefits and payroll, then yes, they're going to be, I mean, it's already, it's been happening, right? That stuff gets outsourced and those companies that do the benefits and do the payroll, they are using AI. But I think human resources is more than benefits and payroll very important component. You could even say, put that in finance and let 
let the the people aspects be the focus of human resources. So for example, there's an age-old argument that organizational development is not part of HR. Organizational mm-hmm. development is the people side, right? Um, I tend to believe that because I'm an OD practitioner, but mm-hmm. HR is the logical place for that function to sit. So I think if HR wants to, uh, in some companies, HR is a, a, an invaluable partner. In other companies, they, HR doesn't have a seat at the, at the table. Mm-hmm. And I think in part because they're not showing enough value in how they understand the trends like what we're talking about, right? So how do we prepare the, the organization and employees for these big shifts that we're talking about as it relates to technology and the way we do work? Or the big shift in increasing our understanding of human bias and its influence on how we see diversity, right? Because um, diversity isn't just gender and, and a sexual orientation and ethnicity. It's also about you know, cognitive diversity, how people think differently. Mm. And I think the really smart HRs are, or the folks that are leading HR are looking to what we're seeing in the social sciences, in psychology, anthropology, and saying, how do we take and look at the, what brings people together and how do we learn to apply that in a business context? Those are the HRs that I think are going to be invaluable. The, the transactional, yeah, like you said, some of that can be done by, by machine. Unfortunately, the one thing that I have seen in my experience in HR is we have a lot of people acting stupidly in companies. Hmm. And we need generalists to be able to help managers and employees deal with the stupidity that happens in companies. I can't even begin to tell you this, the war stories I've heard from generalists who are dealing with supposed adults, but acting like they're 10 years old. Um, so that we're always going to need that, unfortunately. But that, I think, is not the sole focus of HR, though it tends to get a lot of attention. Interesting. And, and from your vantage point or, and from, from your perspective, would the future embraces more journalists or more sort of um, experts? Or subject matter experts like what 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 would you think where we're heading to yeah you know i'm not i'm not sure what my final answer is on that um i think that uh what you know i mentioned diversity a few minutes ago right mm-hmm. and when you think about the the big problems that companies have to solve um I think if you can assemble a diverse group of experts who have mm-hmm. to work together to solve a problem, I think that's probably the better outcome versus, you know, we're all generalists, right? We've got, mm-hmm. you know, the old analogy, knowledge is this wide, but this deep mm-hmm. versus, you know, spe- specific discipline and very deep knowledge. I think that deep knowledge but bringing all the disciplines together, I think that's probably a, a much more advantageous approach to the the to the to answer your question: Do we hire generalists or do we get um, people who are experts and specialists? I tend to I tend to lean towards the specialist. If okay. if the company can uh, uh, bring together a diverse group of people, and some companies don't think about that. Okay, so um, let's let's talk briefly about your optimistic workplace book, right? So, what was the premise on that? If if you can walk us through, like, what was this book all about? Yeah, so this book is re- the optimistic workplace is uh, not about advocating optimism as the best virtue uh, of being a human. It it's absolutely nothing to do with that. Um, the optimistic workplace is about the workplace climate. So most of us are familiar with culture, 
mm. culture, how things get done. It's the values, the beliefs, the purpose, the mission, all that good stuff. Climate, however, is what it feels like to work somewhere. And what I learned when I was writing the book is climate has the biggest influence on employees' experience of work. And that's when I also learned that it's the manager who has the greatest influence on the climate. So the optimistic workplace is about helping leaders understand what they can do for their team to improve their team's climate. The reason why I use the word optimistic is when I was doing the research uh, in the various companies that participated in it, was that in these companies where there's this optimistic environment, hmm. what it created is the employees had a very strong sense and belief that their work is contributing to the hmm. company's direction and growth and purpose, et cetera. But there was also this really positive nature of, you know, we don't just focus on what's wrong. Hmm. We also look at what's right. What is the right thing to do or what is being done well? And the other is rather than just saying, well, we can't do that because we've never done that before or we can't do that because that's just not how we do things here. There's more of a focus of possibility. So this positive focus on what we can do, what's possible, and the belief that what I'm doing actually contributes to the company's growth and my growth that's why I went with the optimistic workplace. That's what it's about, how to create that. Interesting. And, and how, is it, um, how is it holding up uh, in today's time? And, and how is it sort of, uh, do you see, like what, what's, what's, your, what's your perspective on um, creating an optimistic work, uh, workplace in sort of these transformational times? Well, I would argue, um, and this is what... Uh, uh, it's Steven Pinker says the, the curse of knowledge. Hmm. And when you know something, it's hard to not see it, right? Hmm. Um, because I spent so much time studying it, uh, I think we need a greater sense of positive work experiences. You know, if you just look at America, what's happening here, you know, just the, the, the divisive nature that... Uh, is being driven by politics and social issues and uh, you know, corruption. Um, a lot of us, including myself, battle this kind of, oh man, this is just a really bad time. <laughs> well, it's not all that bad. It's just that we as human beings are more inclined to look at the drama than we are to look at the good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a good antidote to the negativity that is really strong, not just here in America. I mean, you've got stuff going on over in Europe that's definitely not necessarily uh, all you know, rainbows and unicorns. Interesting. <clears throat> I think that's a, that's a very um, interesting point. So I, I remember like um, um, I used to do this workshop in which I ask, I used to ask people, hey, just write one positive thought, like one positive thing that you did today. And, 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 and it's just, I'll monitor it for like seven days and give me your work. People used to have a hard time. So I think the moment you say, hey, tell me things that you did back today. And this, we just, we, there was like essay and then probably, probably novel on, on sort of uh, uh, things, thoughts that, that you did wrong. But one thing that you did good, people don't, people underestimate themselves. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's baffling to see. That and, and you have a you have a you have a good point that um, it's 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 difficult. Uh, we're not we're not trained that way to be optimistic, uh, which we should actually. It's it's, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the truth of the matter is, it's biology. Our biology, our brain, is designed to seek out threats to maintain yeah. safety. Right. So uh, there's a psychologist. Uh, I can't remember his name. I should. Uh, that I really like his work. And he said, your biology is not your destiny, right? Mm. Though our brains are wired to seek out problems, that does not mean we are destined to seek out problems. Mm. Your we just have to exercise and learn how to see the positive or look for what's possible 
or you know, consider an alternative other than the negativity or the dangers. Not to say we shouldn't look at that, but mm. just look at one side and not the other. So it's, it's, it takes training. But keep doing what you were doing, Michelle. Keep asking him. Yes, oh, it's, it's hard, yeah. And, and, and what would be your recipe or what would be your um, sort of tactical guide uh, to, to sort of the leaders who are listening or, or HR folks who are listening to this or, or, or watching this? Would they do to create this optimistic workplace? Like what, besides buying your book and reading it, uh, what would be something that, um, that you, could, you, could see, you could suggest? So uh, a couple things. One is uh, if you as a leader listening to this go, I like this idea of an optimistic workplace. I want to do that. Sure, the book is going to help you, but here are the traps that I see leaders falling into. Mm-hmm. Number one trap is, oh, I got to do this all. I, I'm responsible for this. Well, it's a big undertaking, right? And mm-hmm. it's better to invite your team to help one kind of assess, well, what is our current team climate like? What do we want it to be? And then how do we get there? And that's, I think, if, you know, if, if a leader takes a more collaborative, let me bring in the tribe, so to speak, mm. to, to you know, make sense of what is working and what's not working, and then what do we want and how do we get there, that creates less burden and stress for the manager. Because oftentimes when I, when I teach cl- uh, the class that goes along with these concepts, the managers inevitably in the beginning go, I don't have time for this. Mm. Well, one, that's an illusion, but you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but two, there's some truth to that, that you know, if you try to do this by yourself, you will not be happy with the results because you'll be frustrated because you just are trying to do too much by yourself. And climate is best shaped when we're all kind of on, on this path saying, hey, we want to have a more positive workplace environment and it looks like this and this is what mm-hmm. we're going to do. And then as the leader, you have to be very consistent in making sure that you are doing your part and helping the team do their part to get to that outcome. That's probably the, the best place to start is to invite your team to be part of the conversation. Um, secondly, I think the other, th- the, the other piece is to look at yourself. Um, you know, part of the class that I teach with this, there's a, every probably about four times a day, they do some journaling. And the journaling is reflecting on the concepts, what it means to them, and how do they apply it. Hmm. Most of us are not comfortable with that. Right. Spend time with our thoughts, oh, no, not comfortable, <laughs> right? Um, I would say if Warren Buffett can spend his time doing that, and he's a mill. A, well, I'm sure he's a billionaire, actually. I think we could all also find a way to struggle with our own thoughts. You know, do you know, Worst case scenario, sign up to do a 360 with, within mm-hmm. your organization. So you get some feedback on maybe some blind spots that you have. Um, I learned early on in my corporate career to have three types of mentors. Someone who is younger than me, someone who is my age, mm-hmm. and someone who... Um, have mentors who help you look into your blind spots um, and also help you understand what you do that's really, really effective and, and uniquely you. Don't just focus on where you are failing or where you are stuck or struggling. Focus also on your strengths. Interesting. No, I think that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, even mentorship, I see it's, it, it's massively underutilized like it's it's almost everyone i talk to and then it's it's even like um it's not even not not their fault i think many of the companies rush a program in place quickly just to deliver some mentor and many of these folks never see each other never this or there was totally different sort of uh there's no linkage between between the two individuals or how who's mentoring what and they get frustrated and, and, and sort of get, they just lose out on this idea of, and then I, and, and like most of these conversations, I, I find myself into that, hey, 
mentor is not something that someone can give you it's someone that you pick so the very aspect of hey you know i was assigned this guy that i'm working with it's it's the whole thought is is it's it's, it's a totally different direction than how yeah. it should be I, i i totally agree with you the only thing i would add to that vishal is uh you know we have to be careful when we choose our mentors to not choose people who are like us hmm. right part of a good mentor is somebody who might look at the world differently than i do um have different experiences um you want you want people you know i had a mentor who i thought was just really he was kind of uh gruff he was just kind mm. of harsh mm. but he was a really strong personality that i i needed to learn from mm. so we just have to be careful to not choose people who just reinforce our own perspectives but who do who do push us outside of what is familiar to us that's an interesting point a very interesting point and one more perspective which is which is um uh, i want pers- your 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 thought on is so when when we talk to hr and and talk about this future of work and future of where where the organizations are, are heading to we get this uh, glimpse on that it's very people driven people drive this and and the culture is preserved technology is adopted and when but then then when we talk about the incentive of okay what is a successful employee right so he deliver on on the current task and he and and then you realize that um, many of the impact comes from like many of their success comes from the financial numbers that the company is making so cfo dictates um whether someone is successful or not in 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 certain degrees right so typically what that means is uh, and and as a technologist that gives me chills and and I like I'll explain you what where I'm going with this so if technology is um right now in its disruptive age and it's transforming quickly and technology shows great numbers on your book right so you save some serious dollar by 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 moving to the technology and ignoring humans right and when you when you sort of invest in that 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 psyche you instantly go overboard on on automation right you say okay let me just quickly get on get on automation quickly but technology is again it's a, it's a it's a it's a trend that is being disrupted right now it's not stable it's just going somewhere with it and companies took forever or at least um the hr or whoever or the leaders in the in the company they took hundreds of years to sort of create a culture in which they can invite people and people can create value and then value can create sort of value for the customer and then they that translates to dollar value so when you see from the financial side and and how the stock market appreciates progress it totally um go in a different direction of how actually companies are created to begin with right to just people having fun creating value and and people enjoying enjoying those values what's your take like if if we head into this future and we quickly sort of um uh, uh, sort of react to the financial outcome that we are seeing and we are humans as you said like think our brain is tuned to uh, risk and and safety more than uh thinking rationally uh, when we see hey my bonus is if i can save my company half uh, half the dollar if i can bring the ops down i can see my bonus shining right in front of me so what would be what would be your take how in, in the future of organization how would this 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 disbalance or this confusion be resolved like what what is your from whatever you're thinking you, your perspective on this is yeah so i'll say this uh, i think that there will always be a scenario where decisions will solely or mostly be based on profit. Hmm. And I I while that's not the way I'm wired, uh obviously profit is important, hmm. but it's not just profit, right? It's hmm. it's impact. It's also um you know how are you improving things in your community or for your customers? But I'll there will always be the short-term perspective that publicly traded companies have to struggle with mm. and i don't think that will ever go away and that's mm. that's just reality it doesn't mm. to me it doesn't matter what i feel about that mm. but what 
the other, another reality and the one that I'm more interested in is how do we marry people and profit mm. able to be mutually beneficial to not to shareholders, but to stakeholders. Mm. So you've got companies that are, um, you know, you've got like Tim Cook from Apple. He's like, hey, you're going to invest in my company. Great. Mm. But know that I'm not making decisions just based on shareholder value. Right. And I think that kind of perspective. And then if, even if you go into conscious capitalism or B Corps, these companies that are who are legally brought together mm. to be able to be good for society. Mm. Um, I think there's room for all of us to play. The question is, what do you as an employee value and what do you as a leader, a.k.a. manager, what do you value? If you value just, hey, focus on profit and people are the means to the end, go work for a company that does that. Mm. But don't bitch and moan about it when you're there, right? Mm. If you are someone who's more, and this is kind of what we're seeing, especially in the millennial generation, which is the biggest consumer group right now, um, they, want, they want meaning, they want purpose. And so those organizations that know how to, tap into meaning and purpose and mutuality to be able to affect change as well as the profit and loss statement. That's, that's another option. Um, but I don't think we're going to ever have just one or the other. I think it's, it's a preference. Um, and you know, some people start a business to be able mm -hmm. to sell it, to make money. There's nothing wrong with that, but let's be clear about it. Right. So if you are tr recruiting people and that's your and that's kind of your MO as a company to say, hey, we're in it for the money. Hmm. Make that clear so that people are making a better informed choice. Um, but know this, if you as an organization are focusing just you know, mostly on profit, you're going to have a harder time getting people to come work for you because hmm. most of us are tired of seeing white, rich, straight men getting wealthy on the backs of those of us who aren't that. So not to sound political hmm. and it's a little confrontational, but yeah. just know that we need, we do need a little more transparency. And hey, what do you stand for as a company? Capitalism is capitalism. Um, but let's, let's help people make smart choices about where they're going to invest their time in terms of their career. Um, and then, let the cards fall as they may in terms of what you can and can't get in terms of talent for your company. Interesting. I think that's, that's, that's a fair point. So now let's, uh, we're at the tail end of, of the conversation. So now let's spend a few minutes on, on your journey. So uh, if uh, we say, what are in your journey, what are some of the things that has helped you become successful um, and, and become uh, and achieving what you, what you have achieved? what would you attribute those, those sort of qualities to? Like what are some of those qualities that has helped you become what, what you are today? Yeah. Um, so if I'm not careful, I am a workaholic. Um, I will work and work and work and work and work to the detriment of my health as well as to the relationships in my life. So I had to learn that what are my values? What is it that, you know, where do I draw the line in the sand and say, I'm never going to cross that line. And if I do, I'm doing it uh, informed, but also know that there are going to be some repercussions. So I spend time, I spent time learning what my personal values are. And then I have a practice where throughout the year, I evaluate, am I working and living in alignment with what I believe to be most important. Um, so that's one thing. And that helps, that helps me make better decisions professionally as well as personally. Um, the other thing is um, I sometimes to a fault will want to become a better person. Now, on the, on the surface, that might sound silly. It's like, well, we all should become better human beings. Mm -hmm. um, but I can sometimes get a little too fixated, fixated on it. 
Um, so I have, I have a good therapist. So whether you have a therapist or you've got a close confidant, you'll have someone that you can talk with that helps. Uh, well, let me say that because you're asking this about me. I need someone to kind of be that wing person and say, hey, what about this, Sean? Hmm. So, or, hey, you, you did this and how did that work, right? Somebody who doesn't let me get away with my own story in my head. And sometimes that story in my head is to my advantage and sometimes it's not. Um, so I make sure I have, uh, like for me, it's a good therapist. Uh, no shame in that. No shame in that. Um, and the other thing is um, I have learned because I'm, I'm a pretty serious guy. Um, I, I need to kind of strengthen my mental capacity. And so um, because of that, I do Aikido, which is a martial arts, um, and I meditate. So I learned that if I want to be sharp, um, because mm. the work that I do is very, very up here. It's all up here, very little here, except for these on the keyboard, right? Mm. Um, the, the Aikido and meditation are really central to helping me contribute my best, but also take care of myself. Interesting. Wow. And and what are what are some of your favorite read? What are some of the some of your books that that you like to share with our listeners and viewers? Yeah. Um, so on the business side, my my favorite all time book is from Gary Hamill called Future of Management. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a, a a really important read. Um, another book that is. Um, uh, on the business side is called the experience economy. So this mm. is an older book uh, mm. by Joseph Pine and James Gilmore about using experience for, uh, for your customer interactions. Um, but you know, today we talk a lot about employee experience and, and talking with the two authors, it's very much translates over. So I like that book as well. Um, on the fun side, uh, I tend to like books about quirky characters. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, ah, I'm drawing a, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the book right now. That's, I saw that you were going to ask me this question and I, I should have wrote this down. Um, I'll just say this. Uh, books that are really, um, that kind of dive into the human experience and the human psyche are really mm. interesting to me. I think it's Eleanor Oliphant is just fine. I think that's the name of the book. Eleanor mm -hmm. Oliphant is just fine. Um, really a fun little quirky story about a quirky woman finding love um, who's got some demons. Um, and another one is Geek Love by Catherine Dunn, I think. That's another great book. Um, strange. <laughs> <laughs> but really insightful. <laughs> Good choice, by the way. I think, uh, uh, and thank you for sharing that. So now sure. we are at the tail end of the conversation. So if um, you want something that listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, like what would that be? What would be your closing remark to, to our listeners and viewers? <clears throat> so I, you know, I would say that the, the, the amount of time that we spend at work is, and, and this is a, a well-cited statistic, we spend a third of our lives at work, we spend a third of our days at work, our day at work. So, you know, we hear a lot of people, and I'm one of them, you know, beating the drum saying, you know, find, find some way of making sure you're, you're marrying your work and your personal life. And I think that's mm -hmm. true. I don't mm -hmm. believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would suggest to all of those of you listening is work as hard as you want, but make sure you are also taking care of yourself. Because a lot of what people like myself advocate is what you are doing to help other people. Hmm. Well, that takes a lot, right? Hmm. It takes a lot from us to, to be motivating, to be inspiring, to coach someone who might be going through a difficult time. 
but we don't hear enough people talking about, well, what does that take from us emotionally and physically? So if you, when you take, if you listen to everything that I said, you know, it does require a lot of you, but mm -hmm. remember to take care of yourself, whatever that looks like. Um, for me, it's a keto, it's, it's meditation. It's a good, a good glass of whiskey. Um, you know, have those things in your life that help you replenish your energy level so that you can do your best work. Um, you know, leadership or people leaders, whatever we want to say, managers, if you're doing it right, it's incredibly fulfilling, but it's also exhausting. You've got to have a way to recharge, whatever that looks like. Um, and don't forget to make time for yourself. Interesting. Well, uh, well put. And, and with that, thank you so much, Sean, for uh, giving us generous amount of time and, and helping us understand so-called the fabric of optimistic workforce. I think that's, that's it's it's very enlightening to see that, and I, I do appreciate uh, your your wisdom here. And uh, good luck with your book. Um, and and then I we we hope to see you back uh, when the book uh, launch. To, to, to discuss more around what some other interesting thing you have uh, unwind for, for our, our listeners and viewers to chew on and, and think about. And I do appreciate that. And thank you so much um, for, for sitting with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it Then I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain